What's up, Pastor Joey here. Thanks so much for checking out this message today. Our church is in a season called Bricklayers, where we are studying the book of Nehemiah to uncover the truths that people who build great things know. Our prayer is that this message would equip you to join Jesus in building something great through your life. You're not gonna wanna miss a single moment of this season, so make sure to hit that subscribe button to help you become the bricklayer that God has built you to be. Hope you enjoy. I don't know about you, but I thought that that moment was so powerful. I'm standing back there. My heart is so moved hearing this church sing out Waymaker. That was something special today. I don't even know if we got to preach right now. I feel like we can just continue on with our service, keep worshiping together. Um, but man, I'm so grateful for the team that God has put together here at this place in this house. You know, we have an incredible dream team that each and every week makes church happen. Each and every week gives their gifts to be a part of something special, building something bigger than ourselves. And so can you make some noise just for our team in this place today? From everywhere in the lobby to this room, I don't know if you guys know this, but when we show up for church on a Sunday morning, this room is empty. There ain't nothing in this room but these chairs. And everything that you see, we set up each week to make church happen. And uh, I'm super grateful to be a part of this church. If we haven't met yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in vision season, y'all. Can y'all say vision season? Vision season. And uh, the title of our vision season is Bricklayers. And uh, Bricklayers, through this series, we're looking at what it looks like for us to be a part of building a kingdom culture brick by brick. You may remember a few weeks ago when Pastor Joey kicked off this series and you were able to receive a brick just like this and you were able to write a prayer on it. And through this season, we're um, going to be praying five prayers together as a church. And these are prayers that are bigger than ourselves. These are prayers that we need God to come through to see happen. These are prayers that are big vision statements for us in this season of things that we want to see happen in our church. And, and so if you didn't grab a brick, like Bailey said, there's some bricks down here and we'll have markers for you. And we would love for you to grab a brick today. And uh, on, your, on your seat, there's a list of some of the prayers that we're praying in this season. And we just want to invite you to join in the journey in this. You know, these are prayers to be praying for our church, but these are also prayers to be praying for ourselves as well that God would show up and that he would, um, that he would work in our hearts, that we would get a glimpse of glory, that we would see Jesus as bigger and greater in this season, in our lives, in our church and beyond. Um, you know, through this series, we're gonna be looking through the book of Nehemiah. Let me hear you say Nehemiah. Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is a book in the Old Testament. And in Nehemiah, what we're doing while we're looking at Nehemiah is because we're gonna look at Nehemiah to uncover the truths that people who build great things know that surely they did something incredible, they did something miraculous, and we wanna study the book of Nehemiah to uncover, hey, how can we take some of these truths and apply them to our lives? You know, our hope is every time that you come here, as we open up God's word, that you come to know Jesus more, that you experience more of him, that when you show up here on a Sunday morning, it's not about any other name other than the name of Jesus in this place. And when we open up the Bible, one of the things that we wanna do is we wanna open up God's word and we wanna begin to see Jesus all throughout the Bible from cover to cover that my hope is when we teach through books like Genesis, when we teach through books like Leviticus at some point, it's gonna be fun, y'all, through Ruth, through Numbers, through uh, books like Nehemiah, Jeremiah, our hope is that we always wanna be able to point to Jesus in the midst of it. And that's what we're gonna be doing today. We're gonna be looking at Nehemiah chapter three. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And my hope today is is, is that as we open up God's word, that you would see Jesus in this story today, that you would see the gospel in this story today, that as we look through Nehemiah 3 today, that um, God would do a great work in your heart and in my heart. And as we leave here today, we would leave here different. You know, one of the great themes of Nehemiah is he's known for saying this statement. He says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You know, I believe that God has a great work he wants to do in each of our lives. That in this season, that this is, this is um, something bigger than ourselves that he wants to do as he works in our church and in this city and for generations to come. And I believe he has a great work he wants to do in you today. And so I wanna pray for us, if y'all are okay with that. I wanna pray as we get ready to open up God's word together. And so let's pray together. God, we're so grateful for this time. God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word today. Jesus, we ask that as we open up your word, you would open up your mouth, that your spirit would move in this place. We give this time to you. We give this gathering, this service to you. 
God, we ask that you would move. We ask that you would have your way and that you would speak in power and in truth. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 You know, a little context for Nehemiah. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king of Babylon during uh, Israel's exile in Babylon. You know, Israel, the nation of Israel, they um, were God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, but they went through times where they rebelled against God, where they disobeyed God, they turned their backs on God, and in that they found themselves in seasons of exile, where they found themselves distant from the blessings of God. And Nehemiah, he's cupbearer to the king in Babylon, and uh, Israel's captivity in Babylon and Nehemiah hears about how the walls of Jerusalem, his homeland, the people of Israel, how their walls had come crumbling down. They were laying in ruin. And so he begins to have this burden. His heart breaks. And why does his heart break? Because he knows that without a city without walls is no city at all. A city without protection is no city at all. He sees this city where the presence of God is supposed to dwell, where the people of God are supposed to come and experience God, where the people of God are supposed to come and worship and he sees and his heart breaks. And so he's motivated by the glory of God that he wants to rebuild these walls so that the people of God can live as a light in this world to point people to the greatness of God. And so he's stirred in his heart and he prays and he fasts and he goes to the king and he asks for permission to go and rebuild these walls and God works through the heart of the king. And so um, he grants him permission and in 44 B, 444 BC, 400 years before Jesus is born, Nehemiah is granted permission to go and rebuild the wall. You know, Nehemiah had this vision that was bigger than himself. And I just wanna start with a question today. Do you have a vision for your life that's bigger than yourself? Do you have a vision for your life that causes you to pray and causes you to fast and causes you to have to come to God and come to other people for help? Do you have that kind of vision for your life? Nehemiah, he's stirred and his heart is moved and so he begins to get to work. And so Nehemiah 3, they start with repairing the gates. Repairing the gates. How many of y'all know God's house isn't meant to be a fortress, but a refuge, a place where people can come in and out and find safety and find refuge for their soul, a healing for their souls and to be a blessing for the world. And so we're gonna look at gates that the people of Israel, that this group led by Nehemiah start to build. Nehemiah chapter three, we're gonna begin in verse one, if you have your Bible. This is what it says. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests. Now, the first thing we got to notice in Nehemiah chapter three is that we see that Nehemiah gathers a crew. He knew that he couldn't do this work on his own. He knew that he had to get a crew together. And so we see all throughout Nehemiah three, we're going to read some names that I cannot pronounce. Okay. So I'm going to need grace today. I need you guys to give me grace and uh, I'm going to let you maybe read the names out loud later on and then we'll see how everyone does. And, um, but we need to have some grace for each other today. We're going to read these names. I can't pronounce them. I promise. But we see that he begins to list out all of these people and groups of people that take part in rebuilding the wall. And they start with the gates, as I said. The title for our message today is super simple, a little long. We is greater than me. We is greater than me. Ten gates, one gospel, your role. We is greater than me. Ten gates, one gospel, your role. If you're taking notes or if you're not taking notes, you got notes on your C ability to be able to write down some notes today and jot these things down because I'm excited. We're going to talk about ten gates today and how these ten gates point to the person of Jesus and can remind us of the hope of the gospel today. But before we get there, we need to start with this idea that Nehemiah understood that if you're going to build a kingdom culture brick by brick, you got to build it with people that you cannot do something this great on your own. Building is always better with a crew. Do you, do, you, do you feel me? Like if you've ever done yard work, if you've ever been a part of a construction industry, if you've ever been a part of a team sport or anything like that, you've, you realize that in order to do something great, you need to surround yourself with people, people that can join in the journey. What you can do together is always better than what you can do by yourself. Can you say Avengers? One superhero per movie was not enough. And so they gathered all of the Avengers together so that they could defeat Thanos. That's why it's never going to be like, we just have Iron Man anymore. It's always going to be all of the superheroes together. Uh, we say this all the time as a church, that we are better together. Can you say that? We are better together. 
better together. We is greater than me is our mentality. You know, we, part of our vision for this church and in this vision season is that we'd see more people step in to serve, that we would see more people get off the bench and get into the mission that God has for their lives and helping to build the church of Jesus. You know, we want to be a church where we say that we don't want to be full of spectators, but participators, where we roll up our sleeves, where we get in the game, where we all go all in to be a part of building the church of Jesus. And Nehemiah understood that we can accomplish more, we can go further, and we can dream bigger when we work together. And so Nehemiah, he understood before he could begin to build this wall that there was no way he could build it on his own. So he gathers a crew. Let me ask you this question. Is your vision for your life big enough that you need God? Is your, he knew that he needed God, so he came to God. And he also knew that he needed people. Is your vision for your life big enough that you know you need people? That you need other people to come alongside you to help you raise your kids. Other people to come alongside you to pray for you in your marriage. Other people to come alongside you to walk with you in your walk with Jesus. To help to build up your faith. To fan and to flame the, the belief in your heart. Do you, do you realize that you need people in this journey of life? Especially if you ever want to be a part of building something that matters. Building something great. See, after developing his plan, Nehemiah, he starts to assign people roles. And these roles cause people to rise up and join in the mission. He assigned people specific tasks, specific places to work that were based on their location near their homes. He called people to work based on their trade, the gifts and the skills that they already had, the talents that they had. He called people to come and be a part of building based on their family and based on who they were and their past and their present. And he started to leverage people's abilities for the, for the vision that he had in rebuilding these walls. See, everyone took a piece of the wall. They worked together. There was 41 different groups. How many of y'all know that, that it takes a group of people to accomplish something great, that many hands makes light work? You know, MJ, he needed Scotty, right? He couldn't do it on his own. I know people say he's the GOAT, but he needed Scotty. Brady, he needed Belichick or Gronk, right? LeBron, he needs a crew. That's why the Lakers just hired like half of the Hall of Fame for the next few years, signed them to that team. You watch the Olympics. If you watch the Olympics, even the individual sports, what, the divers, everyone's got a team. Everyone has a crew. They have coaches. They have people, golfers. Yeah, they're playing by themselves, but they have a caddy and they have coaches. We need people to build each other up. We is greater than me. You know, we want to be a church that doesn't look like road construction on the side of the road. You know, government kind of work like that, where you see like one one dude is in the hole digging and there's like 30 people standing around looking at him. Like that's not the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be a church where everyone gets in, everyone picks up a shovel and begins to dig, grabs a brick and begins to build. And so that's the kind of church we want to be. And so in Nehemiah 3, they start with the gates. My goal for us this morning is that we would look at these 10 gates. We're going to go as quick as we can, I promise. 10 gates in Nehemiah 3. And we're going to look at these gates, and we're going to see how each of these gates is a reminder for us of the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. And so as we go through these gates today, I want you to ask yourself this question. What area or what gate in my life might need to be repaired? These gates had been destroyed by fire. They had been burned by fire. And so they're lying in ruins and they're needing to be repaired and built back up. And what area, what gates in your life might need to be repaired? We're going to start with the sheep gate. Nehemiah 3 verse 1. This is what it says. We read part of this already, but we're going to read it again. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. See, the very first gate mentioned is the sheep gate, and it was called the sheep gate because this is the gate where the sheep and lambs that were used in the temple for sacrifices were brought in through. See, in the sacrificial system of the day for the Jewish people, it was animals that were brought to be laid on an altar as a sacrifice so that they could be made right with God, so that they could come into the presence of God, so that they could get forgiveness for their sins. And so there was this sacrificial system, and for the Jewish people, all of their lives would be wrapped up in this system. 
For them, it would make sense that they would start with the sheep gate because they knew that their relationship with God was the most important thing about them, that their standing with God was the most important area in their life that they needed to address first. When they looked at their lives and examined, hey, where am I at? How am I doing? What areas of my life need to be fixed? They saw the sheep gate first and they said, we got to get right with God. And see, this sheep gate for us ultimately is a reminder of the cross. It's a reminder of the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God is reconciling all things to himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is that we believe that there is a good God. There is a good God who cares so deeply for us. And God created everything good, but then Adam and Eve, they chose to sin and disobey God. And so all of creation, all of humanity has been marked by, cursed by sin ever since the garden. And the problem of sin is that sin separates us from a loving God. Sin distances us from God. But the hope of the gospel is that Jesus has come to be the solution, to be the hope that we need in this life. And so Jesus lives a life we couldn't live, dies a death that he didn't deserve, that we deserve, so that we could be made right with God. He was the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who was slain so that we can have relationship with God, be made right with God again. And so we see that in our response to this is that we would surrender our lives to Jesus and trust in him. And so this sheep gate is a reminder that that, that Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. See, without the gospel, this is why they start with the sheep gate, because it's a reminder for us that without the gospel, individually, we have no hope. Organizationally, as a church, there is no point in us meeting together today. The gospel is always going to go first for Elevate City Church. I need you to know that. We're always going to be a gospel first kind of church. We are never going to sway from the gospel. We're never going to swerve from the gospel. We're never going to forsake the gospel. We're never going to forget the gospel. We're never going to push down the gospel. We're always going to make the gospel primary in our lives because for us, without the gospel, we've got nothing. And so notice for them that they start with the sheep gate. And I have a picture, if we can go back to where the sheep gate was, of throughout these, as we talk about these different gates, I want to give you a picture. And now, actually, this picture would have been turned uh, vertically, but it wouldn't fit on the TV. So we're doing it like this. And so we're going to start with the sheep gate, but you're going to notice there's a progression and there's meaning within the distances between each of these gates that we're going to build upon. And so we're starting with the sheep gate. Um, Here's one thing that if you just notice in the text, that's pretty amazing that we see that the sheep gate is located between the tower of of the hundred and the tower of Hananel. So Jesus, check this out. If you've read through the Gospels, you know that Jesus in John 10, he tells a story of the parable of of a hundred sheep and that one ran away. And we all are like sheep in need of a shepherd. And so the Tower of Hananel means, literally comes out translated God's mercy. That even in our wandering, there is God's mercy. And that's situated between our wandering and God's mercy is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. How beautiful is that? And here's the point, that some of us, we're going to stray. Some of us, we're going to fall away. Some of us, we're going to backslide into sin. Sometimes in crisis, we're going to feel that God has that God has wronged us. We're gonna believe this lie that he's not for us, that somehow he's abandoned us, but that is not true. That God's mercy is chasing after us, that Jesus is for us, not against us, and he's coming after us. And no matter our wandering, he's coming to be the lamb for us, and he's coming to be the shepherd for our souls. John 10, verses nine through 11, Jesus says, I am the door. Some translations will say gate. I want you to keep that in mind as we read through these gates today. Jesus says, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the way, is what he's saying. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The sheep gate is a reminder that the gospel delivers a savior and a shepherd for our soul. It's a reminder that the gospel delivers a savior and a shepherd for our soul. See, for us, in light of the cross, the sheep gate would remind us that Jesus has saved us and that he sustains us and that he guides us and he leads us. The gospel is the glue that binds us. 
The gospel is the mortar. When we talk about bricklayers and we're talking about building brick by brick on top of each other, when we talk about how we all have a brick, we all have a part to play, you know what the mortar is that's gluing us all together? It's the gospel. It's the gospel that is helping to build this structure and we're building in and with the gospel. And so the gospel is important for us to remember it goes first. Leadership lesson in this, because Nehemiah, it's a book of leadership, vision. It's a, it's a book that points to Jesus. And one of the things we see here is that leaders always go first. If you notice the priests, they, they're the ones that start. They're the ones that lead. They're the ones that go first with repairing the sheep gate. See, in your work, you've got to realize that people are going to serve if you serve, if you're the leader. In relationships, in your home, in your marriage, in your family, you lead, your family will follow. You lead and people will follow. Leaders always go first. Another thing that's important for us to realize at the beginning is that they consecrated this gate. This is the only gate that they chose to consecrate or set apart, dedicate to God, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be different. This is the gate that they said, all right, God, here, this is for you. And this is important for us to remember because we see all the way through the Bible this idea of consecration in Joshua 3. As, as Joshua's leading the people into the promised land, what he says, he says these words. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You know, this is why we as a church, we're going to commit to do things like the parent-child dedication next Sunday. If you got a kid and you have not dedicated them to the Lord, I don't care how old they are, next Sunday we're going to take some time. I'm dedicating my baby girl, my daughter, and we're going to dedicate some children to the Lord to say, hey God, we are setting them apart. We are committing to be parents who are going to raise our kids in the ways of Jesus, teach them about Jesus. We're giving them to you, trusting that, God, you're in control. We're setting them apart to be marked as holy, to say they are yours, God. There's some areas, some things in your life that you need to consecrate to God if you want to see God do an amazing work. Could it be that maybe in your home, maybe in your job, maybe in your relationships, you're not seeing God do amazing work because you haven't yet given it to God? You haven't yet dedicated it to God. We're going to be a people that always stop and say, hey, you know what? Before you move into this house, let's pray over this house. Let's bless this house. Let's give this house to God. Before you start this new job, let's pray together. Before you, before you take on this new role, before you um, move on and before you leave, let's go ahead and bless and pray and ask that God would work in our hearts. So they consecrate the gate. Consecrate the gate. You know, the people of God were meant to be different and distinct in this world. And one of the reasons why they built up this wall and these gates is because it encouraged the people of God. It gave them this sense of identity and distinctiveness again. See, without the gates and without the walls, they were just open to be raided, open for everything that they had to be stolen by the other nations around them. They were always going to be under attack. They were always going to find themselves struggling to get by. But with walls, they had this protection and distinctiveness, and they had their identity back. It's a reminder that they were set apart. Second gate we see is the fish gate. Someone say fish gate. Fish gate. There's going to be some weird names of gates today, y'all. Y'all just get ready. Nehemiah 3, the sons Verse 3, the sons of Hesena built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors and built its bolts and bars. So the fish gate was mentioned next in this scripture. And uh, it was called the fish gate because this is where the fishermen of Galilee would bring their catch in through this gate to be sold. This was a key entrance for the city where trade would come through, where they would begin, where they would be able to get the food and the resources they need to see. For us, the fish gate speaks to evangelism. That we're called, Jesus calls us to be fishers of men. It's this natural progression that the Christian life, once you realize your need for a savior, once you commit to follow and trust in Jesus, the next step is that you would begin to tell someone, that you would invite someone else to come and experience the person of Jesus as well. And so we see this picture of the fish gate. The fish gate is the reminder that the gospel chases after people and so should we. That we're always going to be a church that chases after the one. That we're always going to be a church that chases after lost people. Do you understand that without you, someone could live without God? Without you, someone could live without God. We've got to have an urgency when it comes to our mission as followers of Jesus. It's that 
We're called to be disciples who make disciples. Discipleship and making disciples go hand in hand. They're part of the same mission. Multiplication is our mission. You see, the reason that we have a vision for this church, for this room to be full of people, the reason that we have a vision that every seat in here would be filled, the reason why we have a vision that this wall would come down and that we would be able to expand and move beyond even here, the reason why we're praying for a place to call home is because every single seat that you're sitting in represents a story, represents a person, represents a soul that is in need of a savior. And our city is filled with people that are lost and we need to be people that go out and invite people to come and be a part of what Jesus is doing here. Invite people to come and experience the person of Jesus. And so part of our vision with this is that we want to be a church that, that's always inviting people to come and be a part of this. You know, on your car, on your seat every single week. You may have noticed this. You may be like, why do they always put this little card on my seat? Well, here, I'm going to tell you why. It's because this is a reminder for us. That what Jesus does in you can't stay with you, it has to move beyond you. And so when you show up here every week, this is a reminder to take this card and say, hey, I'm going to invite at least one person this week to church. I'm going to tell one person about Jesus this week. I'm going to evangelize to at least one person. I'm going to tell one person that they need the hope of Jesus and invite them to church. And so every single week, we just ask, take this with you. Never be anywhere where you do not have an invitation card in your wallet. I always got one, got a few. If you ever see me without an invitation card, I'll pay you $5, guaranteed, all right? We want to be a people who are committed to reach our city. And so this fish gate is a reminder for us to evangelize. You know, um, the story continues on in verse 5. A good thing for us to know is that it says, and next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. See, we see that everyone's getting in on this journey of serving and building and repairing, but there was a group of people, the nobles, who would not stoop to serve their Lord. And let me just say that our prayers that would never be said of anyone at Elevate City Church. That would never be said of this church, of this people, of, of our lives, that we wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord. Think forever, that's marked, that's part of their story in scriptures, that the nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. We are a people that nothing is beneath us, that getting gritty is our go-to, that we are always a part of doing whatever it takes to see the church grow, to see the kingdom expand. You know, I talked about the dream team at the beginning. I need you to know that nothing's beneath us. People are hopping on ladders. People are wrapping cables each week, dropping these drapes, steaming banners, being a part of running sound and video and lights and playing music and instruments. There's nothing that is beneath us. If we got to clean floors, if we got to pick up trash, whatever it is, we're going to do it because we want, we know that every single person that walks into this room matters to God. And we want to give our very best every single week so that people can experience the person of Jesus. Number three, we got the old gate, the old gate. Nehemiah chapter three, verse six, Joida, the son of Paseah and Meshulalem. I'm telling you, I'm getting these names wrong. It's okay. Don't judge me. And the son of Besoidea repaired the gate of Yeshanana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. Yeshanana is the old gate, the old gate. Following the fish gate was the old gate. Nehemiah is the only book in the Bible where this is called the Old Gate. And it's, it's most likely because it's one of the original gates made for the city. And so this speaks to us about the old ways of truth. In Jeremiah chapter 6, 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You see, too many Christians today, I believe, are searching for just what's new, what's next, the next best thing, the next best teaching, the next best experience, the next best um, movement to be a part of. And what we want to be a part of is a people who remember the ancient paths, the ancient days that God is calling us back to, the days that God established, the ways that do not change, the ways that remain the same. See, the old gate is a reminder for us that there is an ancient path that leads to new life. There's an ancient way that if we would walk in the ways of God, that we would experience the best life that he has for us. See, our methods may change, but our mission remains the same. 
We may try new things to reach new people, but Jesus is always going to be our message. The gospel is always going to be our motivation and our urgency and our mission. And so we may change how we do some things, but why we do some things and what we are doing is going to remain the same. See, sometimes, sometimes I think we're waiting for God to give us something new when actually he might just be calling us to be faithful, to, be, to rebuild what's in front of us. They're like, we're looking for next, the next toy, the next job, the next career, whatever it is. We're trying to move on to the next relationship. But could it be that God is calling us to rebuild what he's, always brought, what he's already brought to us? Yeah. Notice this about the gates or in the rebuilding the wall, except for wood for the gates, which Nehemiah asked the king to bless them with, except for that wood because wood was burned in the fire. No new material was needed to rebuild the wall. They didn't go in and bring in truckloads of sand and mortar and rocks and bricks. No, they looked at the rubble, they looked at the ruins, and they said, you know what, we can build something beautiful, beautiful from this. We got what we need right here. Everything that we need is in the rubble, and God has already given us what we need, and so let's build together out of this rubbish. See, what a leadership lesson here that maybe some of us need to return to some old ways and old truths in our lives. Like, have you gotten caught up in the new and the next that you've missed out on God's best for your life? And what if right in front of you, buried in the rubble, is an ancient path that you need to return to, the old gate? Then we've got the valley gate, the valley gate. Nehemiah 3.13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. And let's look at this picture right here because you'll notice right here. So we're moving around the city. Now we're at the valley gate. And you'll notice that there's a big amount of distance from the valley gate to the next gate that we're going to see. See, in the valley gate, there is a long distance between the next gate, and it reminds us that there's going to be a sequence of mountains and valleys, hills and valleys, highs and lows in the life of every follower of Jesus. That there's going to be moments where you find yourself, where you thought you were on the mountain, but now you're in the valley and you're experiencing trial. You're experiencing humbling moments, a, a season of humility where God might be trying to stretch your character, to grow you in your patience, to remind you that he is faithful, to, to chisel away some areas of your life that he knows needs to be grown. And see what happens in the valley is that God is preparing us for growth. He's working in us. He's stretching us to prepare us for something better. You know, uh, I, uh, I've, I've taken a few mission trips in my life, and one of the trips that I got to go to was um, to a place in Ecuador called Quito. And Quito's the capital of Ecuador, and there's this day where we got to go and explore some of the land, and I'll never forget this moment where walking up this mountain, and, and the whole time uh, the person with us, the missionary that we're serving, was like, hey, you're not ready for this. Like, you're not ready for what you're going to see. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we're just climbing up this dry mountain. Like, there's just, it's just brown and everything around us. And I was like, this isn't that cool like what are you talking about we're gonna see something special and she was like wait for it wait for it and so we come up this mountain and we're in a place called the Palulua Geobotanical Reserve in Quito and this reserve is actually a volcano and essentially what happened is that this volcano it um, hasn't been active for a long period of time and uh, Palula is the only crater in the world that's also actively used as farmland and so we climb up this mountain, and then we begin to see this picture of the most beautiful crops and the most green, luscious land that I've ever seen in my life. And, and so all around is mountains, and at the top of these mountains, there's just trees. There's not much growing. It's actually pretty dry, even though it looks green. But down in the valley, down in this crater, God used what was once a volcano to provide farmland for these people that they would be able to inhabit and live and tend and grow and provide food for their families and the surrounding communities that God would take something in the valley and he would grow it and use it to bring something beautiful see how many of you know that God oftentimes does his greatest work in the valley of your life it's in your valleys you'll see the greatest growth don't forsake the season that you may find yourself in and miss out on what God might be trying to do in you 
You know, your season doesn't have to define you, but your season can direct you. Your season can strengthen you, and God can use any season to prepare you for something better. And so if we want to be a people to see growth in our lives, in our church, we got to be a people of the valley. Building works better in humility, and that's what God does in the valley. He humbles us. See, the valley gate is a reminder that the gospel goes forward in humility. The gospel goes forward in humility. It's the life that Jesus modeled for us, that he would humble himself, leave the throne of heaven, humble himself to become a servant and a savior for us. Dung gate is is the gate number five. I never thought I'd say that in church. The dung gate, gate number five, verse 14. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hasherim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and his bars. So all of Jerusalem's waste and rubbish was taken out through the dung gate and down into the valley of Hinnom where we burned. And so if you've ever been to a third world country, you understand that like getting rid of garbage and getting rid of trash is a really big deal. Like we take it for granted here in America. It's like I'll just bring my trash can to the road, peace. But like in other countries, they've got to figure out what do we do with all of this trash? What do we do with the waste of our septic system? What do we do to get rid of this garbage so that our town, so that our city doesn't smell, so that disease doesn't start to begin to form, so that people don't get sick and people don't die? It is so important and essential to to every single city. And so we see this is where the rubbish is removed from the city. And this is a reminder for us of the rubbish that needs to be removed from our own lives. See, valley experiences are used by the Lord to strengthen us. And then we get to the dung gate so that we can see, all right, these are the areas of my life that I need to eliminate, that I need to get rid of so that I can step into the best that God has for me. You know, if we're gonna be people that build great things, we've gotta be people that eliminate poor things from our lives, that eliminate sin from our lives, that eliminate temptation from our lives, that eliminate that eliminate sometimes even good things from our lives so that we can see God do better things in our lives. See, we all have toxic things that need to be eliminated. Bad habits, toxic relationships. You know, speaker and author Bob Goff, he, uh, in one of his books, he talks about how every single Thursday, he eliminates one thing from his life. One thing. Even since 2011, he tweeted this, it's Thursday, quit something. Eliminate some of the noise in your life and let your symphony have the stage again. Sometimes we got to quit some things so that we can start something better, so that we can start something new, so that we can step into something new that God has for us. See, what's something good or bad that you can maybe eliminate from your life this week? If we want to be bricklayers, we got to be people that are able to hold much in our hands, and we cannot hold much in our hands if we're holding on to things that we need to let go of. Let that be said of us, that we would be people that eliminate things from our lives. See, the dung gate is a reminder that the gospel removes the garbage of our lives. So what the gospel does, condemnation eradicated, death defeated, sin forgiven, shame removed, all by the blood of Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. It takes out the trash of our lives. Notice right here that it was the ruler of the district that repaired the dung gate. Remember the nobles wouldn't stoop down to soothe their Lord, but then we see the ruler of a district says, all right, cool, I got the dung gate. I got dibs on the dung gate. Let me take out the trash. Let me get dirty. Let me be a part of making a way so that these people can get rid of the garbage of their lives. See, bricklayers build wherever God calls and there's nothing beneath them. Then we see the fountain gate. Number six, the fountain gate, verse 15. Nehemiah 315, and Shalom, the son of Kol, whatever, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of, yeah, of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. See, the fountain gate is located near the pool of Siloa and was often used by the people for cleaning before proceeding onto the temple. See, the valley experience then leads us to the, to the dung gate where we remove the rubbish of our lives and then we move to the fountain gate where we are cleansed, where we are washed. See, this speaks of the living waters of the Holy Spirit that, clean our, that cleanses our lives, empowers us for great work. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. See, the fountain gate is a reminder that the gospel makes us clean. 
That the gospel washes us white as snow. That there is no person too dirty to be washed by the living water of Jesus. That there is no person too far. Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed that God oftentimes can take the worst situations, people's messiest of lives, and then use those stories to be stories of grace and redemption and hope? That he takes broken things and makes them beautiful. In this, uh, you'll notice throughout chapter 3 that there's con- this consistency of using bolts and bars as they're repairing the gates. See, locks and bars are mentioned five times in this passage. And locks refers to the sockets in which the bars were then fitted into. And the reason for this is so they would make it difficult for the gate to be opened from the outside. So this is important for us to realize that, that we all need to have locks and bars in our lives. That it's that it isn't enough that we simply do the work of God. We must also make sure that what we do is protected from the enemy. That some of us, we've got to recognize that we didn't take time to set bolts and bars in our lives, to set boundaries and guardrails in our lives, to protect us from the enemy. And what we have seen is tragic. We've seen destruction. See, some of us, we're living lives right now with walls that are in ruin because, and it all began slowly. Like one decision, one compromise, one mistake. I'm just going to give in a little bit here. I'm just going to give in a little bit there. And our bolts and our bars were never set. We never had the guardrails that we needed in our life. And then the enemy just came in to attack and to steal and destroy every area of our lives that we were wanting to see God move in. And so first it's just a loose little piece of stone or mortar and then it's a crack and then it begins to grow. But we need bolts and bars to protect us from the enemy. You know, we serve a God who can make beauty out of ashes, and we serve a God that can take no matter the damage, no matter the dirt, and rebuild something great. We need a fountain of living water to cleanse us, and we need bolts and bars to protect us. The next one we see is the water gate. Let me hear y'all say water gate. Water gate. Nehemiah 3.26, the temple and the temple servants, along with Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. See, the water gate is a picture of the word of God and its effect in our lives. Ephesians says, having been washed by the water of the word. There's this picture that God's word washes over us. Psalm 119.9 states that it's only through God's word that we can be made clean. It's, it's no coincidence, as you'll notice on the picture, that that the fountain gate comes, that the water gate comes immediately after the fountain gate, that as the spirit cleanses us, then the word of God cleanses us as well. See, the Bible will always be primary in our church. We will always be a church that stands under the word of God. It'll always be a filter for how we see all of life. Our feelings are not going to direct us. God's word is going to direct us. The situations of our day and our culture is not going to define how we see ourselves and how we see God and how we see people. This is, God's word is always going to be the filter for how we see every area of our lives. It's going to be what washes us and prepares us and sustains us and makes us look more like Jesus. And so when and where we lay bricks is always going to be based off of the Bible. That as we move as a church, we're always going to look to, hey, what does God's word say about that? As we make decisions as a church, hey, what does God's word say about that? As we make decisions on where to go and what to do and who to hire and who to be, it's always, what does God's word say about that? Because we believe that when you open up God's word, God opens up his mouth and he speaks and he moves and he changes our heart. See, the water gate is a reminder that the gospel transforms our lives through the word of God. It's a reminder that the gospel transforms our lives. Then we got number eight, the horse gate. Verse 28, Nehemiah 3.28. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. You'll start to notice as you read through Nehemiah 3 that there are certain groups of people that once they finish one task, once they finish one gate, they move on to the next one. How many of y'all know that sometimes there's a season, there's a place that God has you, and as soon as you finish that task before you, he may be calling you to immediately go on and continue building somewhere else, to continue building and moving in this mission. And so the horse gate, the horse gate speaks to us of warfare as horses were used in battle and became the symbol of war. Spiritual warfare is going to happen in the life of every believer, of every Christian. We're going to experience spiritual warfare. And because of that, we've got to realize that we need protection, that we, that we need um, 
to be ready to fight. The horse gate is a reminder that the the gospel prepares us for battle. The gospel prepares us for battle. If you want to make a difference in this world, you got to be ready to fight. Fighting for broken people is a battle. Fighting to save your marriage is a battle. Fighting for the faith of your kids is going to be a battle. Fighting for the souls of a generation will be a battle. Fighting to see Jesus over a city will be a battle. We've got to be ready to fight. And we've got to realize and remember that Jesus has already won the war. And he promises to be with us in every battle that we face in this life. He's gone before us. He's here with us. He comes behind us. He is with us. Number nine, East Gate, also known as the Golden Gate. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Sakiah, the keeper of the East Gate, repaired. The East Gate's located opposite the side of Mount Olives. And you'll see that the East Gate speaks to this return of Jesus. This is where followers of Jesus are longing for. This is, for, 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 this is where they're looking for Jesus' return, to see all of creation completely restored when Jesus comes back, to see all things made new, to see no more tears, to see no more hurt, to see no more shattered pieces. Everything broken will be made whole. This is where the sun rises. This is where Jesus is going to come back. Philippians 1.6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. See, the East Gate is a reminder that the gospel tethers our life to our true hope. Then we've got number 10, the inspection gate. Verse 31, after him, Mokajah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the muster gate into the upper chamber of the corner. And so this gate is also known as the Mifka gate. And this word in Hebrew has a military connection. And according to tradition, it was this gate that David would meet his troops outside of the city to inspect them. It was at this gate that speaks to the Lord examining our lives, weighing our lives. How many of y'all know that there's a judgment coming, that we're going to be weighed by the things that we've done right and wrong? And in Jesus, we'll stand forgiven, but apart from Jesus, we'll stand condemned. Eternity is real, hell is real, heaven is real, and we really have a heart to see heaven as crowded as possible. Our job is to have hearts that break for people going to hell. Our job is to have hearts that break for the brokenness that we see in this world. Our, heart, our job is to have hearts that would say, hey, you know what, I know that there is a judgment coming, and my heart is to tell as many people as possible about the person of Jesus. If we will not re- rebuild, someone might not receive access to the Father. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through me. An inspection gate is a reminder that the gospel measures our life by what matters to God. So let me ask you, what do you think matters to God? What do you think matters to God? When your life is measured, what great work will you see done in your life? As you stand before God, I believe that he's going to ask you two questions. Jesus is going to say, did you know me? And what did you do to make me known? Did you know me? And what did you do to make me known? Church, let's be a people that are ready for that question, that are ready to respond. Told you at the top, we said we is greater than me. Ten gates, one gospel, and your role. I want to show you as we've had these pictures of the different gates. Well, here's now a picture of all of the names of the groups of people and individuals that helped to rebuild these gates and helped to own different sections of this wall. And this is important for us to realize because each of these names represents a group of people or a story, a part that someone had to play, a brick that each person had to bring to be a part of repairing and rebuilding this wall. See, Nehemiah was a master in the art of delegation. Like he grabbed people from all different areas, all different professions and trades to help in this journey. See, part of Nehemiah's strategy was also to place people closest to their homes. He was like, all right, you live right here. You're going to repair this part of the wall. You're going to repair this gate. Why? Because he knows that our hearts are tied into the places that we live, the places that we call home. And he knew, you know what, I'm going to build a little bit better. I'm going to work a little bit harder if I know that my family's lives are depending on it that my children's future depends on it, that I'm going to build a little bit better if I know that this is right in front of my home, this is close to my heart. And so Nehemiah, he stationed people close to their families so that they could protect and fight for their families. How hard would you work 
to build a wall of defense in your city if you knew that generations depended on it, if you knew that your children's lives depended on it, if you knew that their faith and the faith of generation depended on it. That's what we're doing here at Elevate City. If we will not reach people, who will? So they all had assignments. I just want you to write, maybe in your notes today, what's my assignment? What's my assignment? What part would I have to play in this story? You know, here at Elevate City, there's several different ways that you can step into the journey here. And one of them is to be at base camp. Base camp, we started a few weeks ago. And um, today, we're, today we're taking a pause in it, but it'll be back up next week. And it's for, be at base camp where you can hear more about what God is doing here at this church and your part to play in it. How you can start serving, how you can get involved. Get in a group. You'll notice that on your seat, there's a card and it says this, we are better together. You know, today is groups launch for our church and our hope is today that every single person in this room would take time to fill out this card and would take time to get in a group because we believe that we are better together. These people all came together to accomplish a great work and we cannot do a great work in our city alone. We cannot do a great work in our city in silos where we're isolated. We need to come together and we need to get in groups so that in groups we can work together for the mission of Jesus and for the fame of Jesus. And so today at the end of the service or even right now, we just ask that you'd fill this out and begin to pray and think about which group, you don't even need to pray. You're signing up for a group today, but which group it is that you need to be a part of today, which group that you need to go and ask more questions about. We're gonna have tables out in the lobby with all of our group leaders out there for you to go and meet people and hear about when the groups meet and what the groups are like and which group fits you best. You know, Nehemiah had a strategy when he positioned people together. And so there's gonna be a strategy for, hey, where are you gonna find yourself? But if you don't jump into a group, you're not gonna jump into any group. And if you would start with a group, you may find out that God might do something in you in that group to help you go and start another group to make a group that fits more for your style and for maybe for the people that you're trying to reach. And so we've, all, we've got a lot of groups and more groups that we're gonna be starting. And we wanna be a part of building something together. Maybe it's that you would start to serve on our dream team. Maybe it's that your part to play, your assignments, that you would start to give financially for the first time to fuel this movement, to be a part of giving resources so that we can build the kingdom. Everyone has a part to play. You may not feel able, but as a bricklayer, it's not your ability, but your availability that determines how God is gonna use you. He wants to do something great in you and he wants to do something great through you. And if you would just come to God with open hands to say, hey, you know what, God, here's my brick. Tell me where to put it. Tell me where to place it. Tell me who who I need to come alongside show me use me I guarantee you that God will come through every single time that you would say God I'm not able but I'm available use me see for years the city of Jerusalem sat in ruins but Nehemiah was able to get people together and he gathered people together with this common mission and this common vision and they had confidence when working together what we can do together is always greater than what we can do alone you need a tribe. You need people that are in your corner that will fight for you. You need people that will help you in your worst days. As we wrap up, I want to tell you the story of, it was December 2019, just a few years ago, and Leslie and I um, were in this crazy season of transition where we were um, going to move. We were living up in Canton in Cherokee County, and we're going to move um, down here to Roswell to get as close to Sandy Springs as we could get. If you live in Sandy Springs, you know it's hard to live in Sandy Springs. And so we were trying to get as close as we could get. And, um, and so it was, it was moving day, and uh, it was a Thursday, and we had spent all week and months essentially preparing for this move. And um, it was Thursday, and we're supposed to close on our house and buy our new house all at the same time at Friday at 9 a.m. And we were wake up Thursday morning and I had a group of people the day before help me pack some of the big things into a U-Haul and and so they pack, we packed up a lot of the big things but you know if you've ever moved like it's the little things that take all the time you know that it's the clothes and it's all the just random stuff that's all over the place and so I knew that I had a busy day a hard day ahead of me and so what I was going to do is I was going to wake up I was going to take Hudson to school and um, I was gonna give, he was gonna be at daycare all day. And then Leslie and I, we're gonna work all day packing everything else up. And Leslie was pregnant with our daughter Hadley and she was like uber pregnant at the time. And uh, like baby was ready to come out and, and we're trying to move. And Leslie wakes up that morning and she's got some stomach issues. She got a stomach bug and we didn't know it was a stomach bug. And if you've had a, ever had a stomach bug, it can cripple you. And so 
she's just like, I can't move, I can't do anything, she's stuck in bed, and so I'm taking Hudson to school, well, on my way to school, it's like everything that could go wrong goes wrong, and Hudson throws up everywhere in the car while we're driving to school, I just heard like a little cough, and I looked behind me, and I was like, ah! It was madness, and I was like, oh my gosh, and I can't take him to school now, and so I'm bringing him back home, and I'm cleaning up the car and the car seat, and I'm like, what do I do with Hudson today? He's a little toddler. And so I'm trying to pack up the house with Hudson, just put him in like a little gate thing. And I'm trying to pack the house while Leslie's up in the room. And, and I'm just like, what is happening, God? Like, I'm supposed to have this house cleared out and cleaned up and ready to go by tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And I got this U-Haul and I'm doing all this stuff myself. And I'm like, goodness, like I had help yesterday, but I couldn't get people to help me this day. And I was just like, ah. And so I'm like, I'm just going to muster it up. I'm going to use my muscles. I'm going to get it done. And all throughout the day, though, Leslie is having this stomach bug, it's just coming for her, and she's throwing up and, and uncontrollably to the point where it's like, we need to call like for some help. And so she's trying to call doctors and everything, and, and she can't get through to different people. And, and so we're going throughout the day, and finally she gets a hold of someone, and they're like, hey, you need to go to the ER right now. They're like, how many times have you thrown up? She's like, I don't know, like 40 times. And she's like, you need to go to the ER. And so we call our friends, Stephen and Debbie, and we're like, hey, can you come and take Hudson? Like, we don't know who else to give him to, but can you come and take him? And Debbie was like, absolutely, I'll be there in five minutes. And so she comes, and it was one of those crazy moments where she comes, she's like, all right, here, I'm help, like, whatever I need. And I was like, here's my son, here's his car seat, I don't know what else you need, bye. And she was like, cool, I got him. And uh, she takes Hudson away, and Leslie and I get in the car, and we're driving for what seems two hours to find an ER, and and finally we get there, and they're like, oh my gosh, like, we're, it's so good that you're finally here, and they start pumping her full of fluids, and, and we're there for hours upon hours, and on the way there, we're like, what do we even do? And so we call Leslie's brother and, and sister-in-law that live in Atlanta, and we're like, can you come help us? Like, we've got to pack our house, and we don't know what to do. And immediately in that moment, they said, we're on our way right now. Next thing I know, I get a call from Joey and Kayla. And uh, they were like, hey, we're coming to pack your house right now. You just tell us the code to the garage. And then our other friends, Patrick and Bryn, are, they call us and they said, hey, we're on the way to your house right now too. And we're in the hospital. I'm just like, what do we do? And it's 10 o'clock at night at this point. And we're just there at the hospital. And, and, our, and our house is back in a mess, but we've got three groups of people, three couples, three just family members in our lives that are there packing up our house so that we can move, so that we can move to be a part of launching Elevate City Church. And we're there in the hospital just like crying, like, God, like, how have you blessed us with some people in our lives that would pack our house? Like they're picking up our clothes and they're cleaning up trash and they're helping to make our, our house ready and get everything in the U-Haul. They're stuffing stuff in their cars because we ran out of room and their cars are packed up with lamps and all sorts of stuff. And and it comes to the end of the night, it's like 11 o'clock at night, and they finally tell us that we can leave and go home. And of course, on our way, leaving the hospital, just to add on to just the worst crazy day ever, we get pulled over by a cop, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I get pulled over a cop because I wasn't paying attention because my nose was bleeding as soon as we left the hospital. And it's just like all of these things are compounding on top of each other. And I remember the cop gave me some grace, and finally we, we get everything packed up, we grab the U-Haul, and we go to our friend Stephen and Debbie's house and I remember this moment. We get to their house and Hudson's asleep. It's pitch black. It's like 1 a.m. in the morning at this point. And we walk in. I remember Leslie and I just sitting down in the room. And we felt so just grateful that God had placed people in our lives to care for us and to help us when we couldn't do things on our own, when we needed help, when we needed people to come through, we had them right then and there. And not only that night, but the next day to help us move into our new house and that were there when, when we needed help with our kids and when we we're just struggling, we were there. And I remember just being filled with such gratitude and I need you to know, church, that, man, we need people in our lives to be there for us when we can't walk through life alone, when we can't do things on our own. We need each other. We are better together. And I need you to know that this is a place where you can come and find your tribe, that this is a place where we want to connect people with each other, that if you're here today and you're like, I ain't got no one like that in my life, well, we want to be able to connect you with them today. We want to be able to remind you today that, that Jesus is the glue, the gospel the glue that can knit your hearts together and you may be from different places and different seasons but God can bring connection and he can bring relationship and he can bring healing wherever you need to see it today 
And so today the challenge is that you would see Jesus in these different areas, in these gates as we look at Nehemiah 3, and that you would recognize your need to be in community, be in relationship with people. I want to close with Ephesians 2. Verses 16 through 22, we read it earlier. I want to read the message version for us this morning as we close out. It says this, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals so, and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. Jesus provides us access. And then he continues on. That's plain enough, isn't it? You are no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now in your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right now to the name of Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for you. God, we're grateful that you use us. We're grateful that, you, that you're calling us to be a part of a community, a place where we can belong, a place that we can call home. God, we're grateful for the gospel and the hope of the gospel, the message of the gospel, that anyone that would trust in you, Jesus, surrendering their life to you can be made new. So Jesus, I just pray that you'd remind us today of what you've done for us, the work that you're doing in our lives and the hope that we have in you. God, as we read through Nehemiah, our hope is that we would see you, Jesus, and that we would know you more from it. And that as we're in this season of vision, of bricklayers, that you would stir in our hearts to be a people that would lay down brick after brick after brick, God, at your feet, to build upon your foundation, to build upon your word, to build upon you. Jesus. I pray that our church would forever look different after this season. I pray that today some people would step into community for the first time, that they would fill out these cards, that they would say yes to a group for maybe the first time ever in their lives so they can have a tribe that would surround them and care for them and fight for them when they can't fight for themselves and to point them to you, Jesus. We love you, God, and we're so grateful for you, and we believe that in you, Jesus, the best is yet to come. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Hey, thanks so much for engaging with this message today. My prayer is that you're leaving today with your life looking a little bit more like Jesus. Before you go, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And remember, if you wanna see this content get in front of more people, you can always partner with us by giving to the ministries of Elevate City Church. And there's a link for you to do that below. Hope you have an incredible day. Be blessed.